0: really really thriving network neighborhood
1: well now uh, you can't stop progress <laughs>
0: of
2: Hello world, this is Ruth Catlow from furtherfield.org hosting the fifth show in our spring series on Resonance FM which is on Wednesday evenings from 7 till 8pm Our broadcasts feature a variety of art workers and players individuals and groups in the blooming field of media art where art, technology and people meet to reflect and shape the world I will be co-hosting this evening's show with Irini Papadimitriou and
3: Jonathan Munro Hello! Hello Ruth! Hello! Uh, Who will you be interviewing later? Uh, We are interviewing Ellie Harrison, uh, who's, um, so uh, a brief history of privatisation is coming up um, at the Watermans, actually opening this Friday at six o'clock and we have a launch event. Fantastic. So
2: is everyone invited to that? Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. So (coughs) out in Brentford. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in the West in the west of the West End of London. west of the West Get End of London. There, with, uh, yeah, more is.
3: information on uh, watermans.org.uk, but we will be talking about the exhibition uh, later on.
2: Okay, great. And we think we have a kind of theme for the evening, which is around art and privatisation. Yes. <laughs> which is this is the privatisation issue. Okay, so this, the sounds we were just listening to were uh, Hedningana, the artist, uh, and the track was called Suet Ulvo and Homeward by Gorodish, by for, on the Thurn and Taxis album. Uh, Mark Garrett puts this list together, and I'm sure he's kind of just giving me a tongue-twisting challenge when he uh, selects tracks. Um, but our first guest this evening is Simon Poulter. Hello, Simon.
4: Hello, Ruth.
2: Uh, welcome. Very pleased to have you here.
4: Thank you very much.
2: And I've... I've known of you and your work for at least 10 years now, and it spans quite a surprising range of approaches, methods, and roles. Um, mm. So I would say curator, artist from kind of watercolour paintings of Stansted to Punk Banders artwork, uh, instigator and catalyst of media labs, consultant, performance lecturer, and cultural provocateur at large how will that do as an in- introduction?
4: Yeah, that's about most of it, really, yes
2: Okay, mm. so no mm. amendments or additions you'd like to make?
4: No, no that that's fine.
2: Okay, yeah. thank yeah.
4: you Polymath uh, would have done. Polymath? <laughs> yeah Yeah. Okay, but mm. we
2: like to be a little bit more specific than that. Mm. Okay, so first, I'd, let's talk about some art first. So you've been working with metal in Southend now for a number of years, mm-hmm. and I'd first like you to tell us a little bit about a uh, work that I think they commissioned in 2009 called Demographics, The Thames Gateway Animated.
4: Yes, no, i worked with, um, I spent about uh, two years kind of wandering around the Thames Gateway um, and I concluded that actually the Thames Gateway doesn't exist. It's a, it's a marketing term which relates to um, a piece of land which roughly stretches from East London to South End, and it's uh, potentially one of the largest development areas for new-build housing. And um, prior to the, the recent financial crash and crisis, um, it was kind of like the key growth area for London. And <clears throat> the simple idea, really, with this, with demographics was to really look at Um, if you had an option to cut and paste things into a big piece of land, what would they be? So would we, for instance, fill up uh, the Thames Gateway with lots and lots of houses that all look the same and supermarkets that look the same and speed cameras? We might commission um, a large piece of art made out of metal or we might uh, put in some new roads, that kind of thing and the project is is very straightforward it, it it asks the question of how you might might go about doing that putting culture into the frame at the beginning rather than the end
2: okay and from what i've seen of it 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 does something in a slightly more critical way than is usual with uh the language of social scientists studying kind of areas of land and areas of kind of uh, groups of groups of people mm-hmm. and it's it's both using a kind of language of mapping and iconography yes. and 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 it's also playing with ideas of visualization of data and so it's kind of doing all of those things
4: mm. well you see the thing is that everything now has become symbolic so if you go into an airport then there are sort of symbols which uh, um most people can actually understand so the premise with a project like that is if you were to push that idea a bit further then you could come up with a lot of symbols that represent all of those different interactions so it's um, what I tried to do was to create a transactional language of symbols so I'll give you an example is if we were to place an icon of Canary Wharf alongside a football pitch and then Um, maybe an icon of some money, then what would be that connection? Well, um, two years ago, the connection was that um, West Ham Football Club was funded by Icelandic banks. Those banks uh, went belly up, and overnight uh, West Ham Football Club had a major crisis on their hands. And, of course, uh, that football club is proximate to Canary Wharf. So the idea with this is actually to create a symbolic... Um, gaming process really where you begin to say well actually that football pitch does connect to that cluster of financial buildings that speed camera connects to that road and it's looking at at the kind of associations that are created for us by um, the process of of, uh, what's called regeneration
2: okay great and there's there's something as well in that so in that particular lineup of uh, football pitch canary wharf and bank was it money money yes so Mm. so that is probably a link you you may be able to make five or six stories out of that that you could probably map back into the news so you start to you're you're mapping patterns really through these icons
4: for it to be symbolic it has to be open to interpretation so you might have a different take on that you might sort of think well uh, football is, is kind of something I'm not interested in and I'm not interested in financial services. Money is a you know, major issue for me. So it's, uh, I, it, I'm very interested in transactional analysis and this is really how you look at the relationships that things have
2: with each other. OK. Now, what we'd like to do is uh, we like to conjure images in the mind of our listener. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope there's more than one listener actually but we hope to get conjure images in the mind of our listener so could you describe what this piece of work looks like so what 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 does a viewer see yeah it's it's actually a
4: series of um symbols which are similar to toilet door man a toilet door man is the classic symbol most people have encountered toilet door man or woman and um it takes that very sort of reductive approach but it applies a a nice pastel shading to um its graphical treatment so it could easily um Exist as as a, as a a network of icons that could be used for playing games, or they could be used for people to actually look at um, urban planning, that kind of thing. So it's a it's a reductive sort of uh, symbolic language. Um, and one of the other things that I wanted to do with it, which is quite important, was to um, make it non-language based. So you wouldn't actually have to be literate to actually uh, play the game. You would just have to understand. What the symbols meant,
2: okay, so when I went online and looked at this today, I was faced with uh, animated, a animated a flash animation mm-hmm. of the Thames a map of the Thames Gateway with very, very kind of pretty patterning of these icons yes. that made my brain fizz in a particular way because it was about encouraging me to make connections between the kinds of things we 've been talking about yes. so it 's kind of using the very kind of attractive mapping techniques to
4: yes it's it's a it's a successful um aesthetic piece of art because i actually um that's what i do you know yeah. make it artistic statements um but uh it's uh i should apologize to resonance fm listeners for using proprietary software and i know that's really uncool at the moment <laughs> but um i did use flash yes
2: we've all done it um, so before we go to the break there's one other artwork that we don't have long enough to talk about but it's too good not to mention mm-hmm. which is uh, UK Limited which is a project that you created in 1995 can you just give us a give us a tantalising insight into what happened with this work? Yeah
4: this was a national campaign and this is where the privatisation sort of thing comes into this particular show um, it consisted of a number of media events which were very um, sort of freeform, but uh, one of the main ones was the privatisation of Stonehenge, and basically I suggested that the stones would be replaced by fibreglass copies, Um, a large motorway would be put in around Stonehenge and, and hotels, and this would mean that a lot more people could in- visit this nationally important heritage facility and of course the stones would be preserved from all of those people who insist on turning up and ruining them for the nation and so that was one of the, the essential ideas with, with UK Limited was and, to and
2: how did it go down with the general public? Um,
4: it went down extremely well although um, I received two letters, one was from the arch druid of the ancient order who said that he was absolutely horrified that I was planning to move the stones. And I received um, another letter from a venture capital firm who said this was a great idea. Could they give me some money to, to put into it?
2: OK, so after the break, we're going to be talking about your uh, thoughts on anarchy in the big society. And mm-hmm. this sounds like a proposal for the big society to me. So Definitely. Um, yes, let's, it is. let's take yeah. a break and we'll come back to it.
0: Field.org for critical engagement with art, technology, and social and social and social change.
2: Hello. This is Ruth Catlow hosting tonight's programme. Currently I'm talking with Simon Poulter and later in the second half of the show uh, we'll be joined by Jonathan and Irini who'll be interviewing Ellie Harrison. Um, I should mention that if you wish to listen to past programmes all you have to do is visit Furtherfield's website. Uh, The link is furtherfield.org forward slash programmes forward slash radio and uh, we're usually about two weeks behind on getting them up there but they are worth waiting for. Hello, Simon, we're back. Hello. Um, so, recently you gave a talk at Goldsmiths on anarchism and the big society. Can you just tell us what that might mean?
4: Yes, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Cameron's ideas on the big society. Uh, I think what Cameron means by that is um, that really what we should push towards is, is a form of traditional anarchy in the UK. And... Um, and I'm not sure whether they're laughing actually, but um, I I'm think not
2: sure they're taking you seriously. Yeah, to carry on, we'll see if we can um, convince them. I,
4: I, what Cameron's really talking about is that we need to get rid of big government, and that means that the sort of the top-down way of doing things is going to be history. So things like the Bullingdon Club and you know sort of Oxford societies will no longer be necessary to actually form governance. Uh, any longer because people will be doing things locally
2: okay and so what's the what's the I I think you have your tongue in your cheek but I'm ready to be persuaded that you're Mm. being serious Mm. but tell me what's the so if it's about localism then what's the role of technology in this kind of
4: the role of technology yes the role of technology is to give us uh, both modes we can be local that means that if you want to help your neighbour to put out their waste bin, then you can do that. Then you can get back inside and check your email all day and be connected to the big wide world, except if you're in China.
2: OK. Um, now I'm starting to feel a little bit distressed um, because you're sounding very convincing and it's sounding mm. all too familiar. Mm. Um, one of the things that you talked about in your paper was the. Idea of um, the kind of tension between the individual and the, the collective. Yes. So, yeah, the, the agency of the individual and the agency. Yeah, the, of the, the tradi-
4: traditional anarchy is really um, that I, I don't expect anybody um, to uh, hold their wants over mine, nor do I want to hold my wants over them. So what we do is we treat that in dynamic form. That means that uh, every uh, process is a, an opportunity for interaction and it can be successful or not. But if we understand that that I'm not going to work my wants off on a group of people, nor do I expect them to do that to me, then we'll all get along a lot better and the big society will be upon us and everybody will clearly be happy and we will... Um, as Cameron wants us to, have um, a happiness index. So we'll be able to actually have the data right in front of us which will tell us that more people are happy.
2: And who could argue with that? Mm. Uh, so what we might say is that this is, what the, this is the world that the big society is portraying to us.
4: Yes. No. It's totally achievable within the, within two to three years.
2: Yes. Whereas what I might say is that what the big society is proposing is a kind of veil over our consciousness that masks the kind of dominant ideas of a collective, the the kind of collective human experiences. The only two alternatives we have are state and corporation that are battling it out mm-hmm. s- somewhere else. But mm-hmm. we're 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 kind of kept under this veil in a in a kind of quietly happy world where we can negotiate who's going to take our rubbish away on a Tuesday morning
4: yeah well in the big society when when it's uh, when it comes along basically it will mean that you will um, help your neighbors and um, you will do good uh, things, good things for your community, and that will then be reciprocated back to you. And, and as I've said, that, that's a very clear system. The problem with our societies at the moment is that things have broken down. There are too many people claiming benefits, just sitting back, watching TV, just spending the state's valuable assets, and we just simply can't afford that anymore. Quite. And, and by the way, we're all in it together. <laughs> And that means you and me, Ruth.
2: <laughs> yes, we're all in it together. Yes. Okay, maybe we should have a group hug at the end of this show and just reinforce this idea. Um, I, I heard somewhere on the grapevine that uh, this paper was informed by... The paper that you gave on anarchy in the big society was informed by uh, true artistic anarchist John Cage on a lecture... About, at a lecture on anarchy at the Almeida Theatre in 1988. Can you tell us a little bit about that lecture?
4: Yes. I am here and there is nothing to say. If among you there are those who wish to get... Somewhere, let them leave at any moment. What we require is silence, but what silence requires is that I go on talking. Give any one thought a push, it falls down easily, but the pusher and the pushed produce that entertainment called a discussion. Shall we have one now?
1: Stand on. I would turn it as I passed by. The movement of it would, be like a fire in a fireplace. You know, it has that attraction of something moving in the room while you think about something else. Then the second one was a bottle dryer. You know, they have in in cellars, in the French cellars, you put the bottles up. The wine bottles, the wine bottles. When they empty, you put them on and after they've been washed. Them. Yes. And then the third one was a snow shovel, which I did here in New York when I first came in 1915. It was just a plain snow shovel, bought it in a hardware shop. And uh, it's now, one replica of it is in Yale. In Yale, in Yale, in Yale. In- in- in-
0: Furtherfield.org. we can make our own world further we can make our own world we can make our own world, 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 world,
3: world. Hello from Irene and Jonathan. And we have with us today Ellie Harrison, but before we uh, go on to talk to her, just to mention we've been listening to uh, There Is No Light by Wild Birds and Peace Drums from the album Don't Run Over the Birds, Please, and uh, the creative act by Marcel Desson from um, Sound Unbound, Excerpts and Allegories from the Sub Rosa. Hello, Ellie. Hello, Irene. Um, just let's go first to... Um, talk about uh, your various roles in your practice as um, artist, activist and uh, administrator um, can you um, talk about that a little bit, Your these various roles and because some uh, we've been talking about that earlier and you were saying how um, some of these ex- especially the artists and activists can be quite contradictory and So uh, can you explain that a little bit in your... Well, these
5: three different roles kind of emerged when I was trying to work out what on earth I was doing and why I was spending some of my time wanting to be an artist and wanting everyone to look at me and look at my work and think how great I was. But at the same time, (laughs) finding this contradictory push to try to um, act in a more altruistic way and to try to do things that might affect real and positive change... um, on On a wider society, not to mention the big society A wider <laughs> society um so I was kind of aware that there was this like massive contradiction in in um the way that I was operating, so I kind of thought that i'd think. It, like to think about my practice as emerging from this struggle between this, mm-hmm. this push and pull um, and I guess it's that practice that kind of feeds into I'm at, as an artist but also feeds into other things I find myself doing Okay,
3: because actually um, it's quite interesting that because uh, a lot of your work embodies this ethic of sustainability as well and we'll be talking more about your uh, your work later on in your new installation of the Watermans So um, and uh, I know that you've written about that uh, before and specifically in some of your one of, in an essay that's um, entitled How Can We Continue Making Art? So um, so you mentioned the role of the artists as producers and um, how, um, you know, how these should change, like in the current uh, age of uh, environmental and uh, like a crisis and economic crisis um can you talk about that a little bit about your um <laughs> yeah, I think how is that possible actually because
5: yeah, well, I think that um when I wrote that essay, that was two years ago, and I think that I was just really. Throwing the question at myself, how could I carry on being mm. an artist? I suppose. And at that time, uh, which was pre-Copenhagen, the the UN yes. um, climate summit, there was a lot more discussion about climate change as being a real immediate disaster um, in the press, which has totally been taken over by um, economic doom and gloom since then. So obviously, I was kind of confronted with this real, um, very different future, I suppose, where. And I was in in some of the essays I use extreme examples like looking at things like the road, and other examples yeah. of post apocalyptic visions, and like trying to reconcile this with this mentality that we're kind of um, bred into thinking mm. when you go to art school that you're going to carry on and become a successful artist, and that um, if you if you work hard and continue on this like pre-des- yes. described path that um, you'll achieve success, but actually um, this, this kind of future, it's, this promise um, is is hollow, I suppose, mm. because we're not facing up to the real future that we're potentially Thank facing.
6: Uh, it's we- my turn now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just getting looks. Um, just following on from that then, uh, the internet project, or, or I've got a game here, trajectory is, is, is a new project, isn't it? Um, and it enables you to compare your life to other people's and test how you match against their achievements, which of course, is part of kind of is, is, uh, your ego and stuff, I guess, how we build ourselves up. And uh, the thing I think you were getting at sort of, I guess, was Thatcher's children was a point I've got written here uh, as part of um, the, one of your theses called How to Reconcile the Curious Mentality with the, Our Impending Doom. Um, Can you just tell us about that piece of work, please?
5: Yeah, well, Trajectories, um, the website, um, when it launches... It's an online piece, sorry. It's an online piece, um, yes. And I kind of refer to it as a satirical tool in a way in that it kind of fulfills a fantasy. It it provides a a simple way of facilitating your ability to compare your career trajectory directly with somebody else's. So I refer to it... um, definitely as being a satire but a way of kind of like analysing this um, I guess this less than admirable habit that I have in my that i that i witness in my own personality yeah. of of looking at my own life in comparison to people who i went to school with yeah. or people who i studied at the same universities and, and and seeing how i kind of match up but also like fantasy people role models idols like people who i used to be obsessed I with think when I was a do child that. i think it's... my sister my parents everyone
6: yeah uh, and uh, is that a, a bad thing?
5: Well, I think that it is a bad thing, and I I, I just gave a lecture at Edinburgh College of Art last month that was kind of based on on the essay that you mentioned. And I think that the real problem that we're all facing is that all well all of these kind of comparative methods of looking at your own life, kind of encourage you to to base your future on models of success from the past. Yeah. So they're encouraging you to kind of work towards something that um, may have existed in a in a previous time that may not actually. So it stops you exist. changing
6: the patterns and and. and the way is built, as well. Do you think?
5: Exactly. I think it encourages bad habits, and I think that it's bad <laughs> habits that that we need to kind of break out of if we ever really want to change the way that the world works.
6: I mentioned Thatcher's children as a as a point, um, as as that essay was was hammering home. Can you just give us an idea of what you mean by that, though?
5: Well, I think that the essay really came like all of the all of this stuff that we've talked about really came out of a massive period of self analysis that I overlapped with when I was doing my MFA at Glasgow School of Art. Yeah. Um which I just finished last summer. And and through that was kind of um acknowledging like the impact of the society that I'd grown up in and I was born three months before Thatcher was elected to power in 1979. So just three months before this massive change um, unfolded in the 1980s and how society was kind of completely remoulded and reformed. So I was kind of looking at how these policies that she introduced, the Thatcherist policies, kind of may have had some subliminal effect on the person that I'd become.
6: So when you say subliminal, does that mean because you were so young, I guess, to be affected?
5: Yeah, by this? exactly. 'Cause because I, I was so young that I didn't really realise We're getting um, some
6: grimacing from the older uh, members are I of the studio. I mean I'm nearly thirty two. In fact I'm thirty two tomorrow. <laughs> it's <my> birthday.
5: <laughs> oh, status anxiety, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh yeah. Oh dear. So um, anyway. I just work hard. it 's my, my <laughs> 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 it's that facttres work ethic <laughs> anyway, so a lot of it was just um kind of looking back at these kind of massive changes that happened in society um while I was a small child, completely unaware of what was happening, but seeing how they've kind of shaped the person that i did you see those changes today. in your
6: parents then I mean. Um, what was you referring to when you say that? Because so our societies are very small when we're very young. I guess school and yeah. parents are the only two things that go on, really.
5: I mean, I think the thing that I really identified in terms of um, the way that I approach my work, but also the way that I found myself approaching my career, I suppose, a kind of... Um, develop or or utilising entrepreneurial skills, being ambitious like having um, admin skills. I mean a lot of the previous work that I did was to do with kind of data visualisation and data administration so it was all kind of uh, Processes that were coming out of the service industry, I suppose, which is the industry that she created when mm-hmm. she kind of destroyed traditional industry. It's interesting it that being
6: artists, that push is quite strong and quite out there as well. As in, like you can see which artists are doing well by the ones that are selling and things like that. It doesn't push c- communication uh, like collaboration between artists, does it? It's very individual, me, me, me. I think
5: exactly. It's totally individualistic, and this this whole idea that you would. Um, Follow a kind of a career path like that's totally about about you and and your life is 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 completely um, one of the things that Thatcher would have, would yeah. have wanted.
6: Okay, I think we're going to go for a break, but we'll be back soon.
0: Here's Broken bit of knows what. Here's a bloody little scepter What I did in the field.org for critical engagement with art, technology and social and social and social change.
3: Hello again from Irene and Jonathan and uh, Ellie Harrison and uh, we've been listening to Penelope uh, number 12 open hands from, um, sorry, by uh, Sarah Kirkland-Snyder by, from the album uh, Penelope. So we're back with um, to Ellie. Um Hello. Hello again. Uh maybe we should just talk a little bit uh, more about your um, new installation at the Watermans Gallery coming up this uh, Friday. <laughs> a brief history of privatization and you're sewing along that um, also to um, other installations, the venting machine and uh, the toy town. Can you Talk about the uh, brief history of privatization. Yes.
5: Yeah. Well, the brief history of privatization is a is a brand new um, installation that I've made, especially for this show, um, and it kind of came about from sitting in the studio and really thinking about how I could, um, what I wanted to try to address, I suppose, as an issue in my practice um, for this exhibition. What I wanted ma- people to think about and. Um, so alongside that, I was thinking about this campaign that I run, not as an art project, but just as, as a different element mm-hmm. of what I find myself doing, which is the Bring Back British Rail campaign, yes. which is a campaign to, to attempt to re the country's uh, railways. So I was obviously motivated to start that because I am so frustrated when I'm travelling around on the UK's trains um, with all of these different ridiculous franchises changing hands all the time and money being spent on trains being painted from one colour to the next so this is something that I care passionately about and that I would like to see changed um, for something better for something that mm-hmm. that services people who use the trains rather than um, shareholders. So obviously this privatisation issue is something that is ongoing, was kickstarted by Thatcher um, almost as soon as she came into power um, but it's something that is ongoing with the present government and it just seems that it's a continual whittling and whittling and whittling away of these public services which were quite revolutionary, revolutionary set up mm-hmm. um, predominantly in the, in the post-Second World War period. So to cut kind of a <laughs> long story short. I wanted to try to visualise all of this, this history of privatisation in uh, a, a kind of fun and engaging yes, installation. You, yeah, exactly.
3: Because actually what happens with both, like with all installations is that, uh, as mentioned also before, is that people get something out of it. They get something for free. So like <laughs> <laughs> well I'd better just describe what it is because yes. it's, it's
5: a kind of it's a it's a um history of Public service policy over yeah. the last century reenacted by massage chairs. So there's a circle <laughs> of massage chairs, which are kind of, there's six, which are arranged um, facing inwards as though they're kind of the, the meeting place for a council. Um, and people are invited to sit on these chairs at any point. Uh, but each chair represents a kind of key service or industry. So we've got the health service railways electricity gas post and telecoms Mm -hmm. and then alongside that there's this scrolling date which is kind of displayed like a neon sign which scrolls from 1900 up to the present day and this kind of is illuminating the room which has a bit of a cd vibe to it because these chairs (laughs) vibrate (laughs) make a sort of buzzing noise (laughs) um and the, the the this so this neon display will kind of flick from well blue to yellow initially when the liberal party <laughs> was in to red um depending on corresponding what on the corresponding corresponding with the date, the, date yeah, the, yeah. the the party that was in power at that time and then at the points at which these industries were kind of nationalized the the the, the chair which represents yeah, that service or industry switches yeah. on and then remains on until if and when it was privatised. So what you get from that is... Well, we don't quite know yet because hopefully we'll find out tomorrow when the show opens. But people will come in and they'll be able to sit on the chairs at any point and they'll either have a massage or they won't and then they'll hopefully relate that back to the date in history and whether or not that service was privatised or not. And then you get these kind of flurries of activity with... in the eight, In the 40s, as I mentioned lots of chairs switching on when um, at least government nationalised all Mm. of these industries um, and created new legislation so that they had the power to do that and then in the 80s and into the 90s you get these kind of buzzing sounds eventually switching off as the industries are kind of sold off one by one by Thatcher and Major
3: Okay, great.
6: It's quite explicitly saying, basically as I read it um, as probably uh to be nationalized is to give you a massage. that's very yeah, clearly yeah. saying that the massage you, is you good, I presume. Seen,
5: you <laughs> haven't seen the chairs. They're very CD and <laughs> So it's <laughs> more also, like being
6: sexed or... <laughs> Well, I don't
5: know. I don't know quite what the 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 experience is going to be, but I I want a sort of slight um uh, kind of Political ambiguity, I suppose. I want people to kind of make those connections or think about. You you
6: mentioned the ambiguity in a sense. I was just wondering from previously what we were seeing the Thatcher's uh, children point is. I still sense that there's kind of there is ambiguity there. uh, Was I mean, there's so much has been written about Thatcher and all that about privatization. It's no, it's no secret or anything, is it anymore? I think it's very explicit at the time, anyway. So I mean is it uh, what do people do with this information they got they they experience it and then what do you expect from it do you, do you expect anything i guess
5: well i think that the important thing about it is that it's kind of a survey of history so yeah it was no secret that these industries were sold off in yeah. the 80s but i think that it's really important to remind ourselves of the history of, of the of, yeah. of, of this thing now because it's still mm-hmm. happening. Now now as ever I guess. It, yeah, and it's not such a dramatic thing that it's happening. It's more accepted and it's just more kind of going on. So there obviously I do have a political agenda and I do lie on a specific side of the fence I can guess when it what comes it is. To it. <laughs> But but with I mean with a lot of the work, something like the massage chairs, um like I was, I was looking at them today in the gallery and thinking were well, they kind of symbols of kind of eighties yuppieism in a way. Okay. And and actually, like to sit on this chair and to have this indulgent massage, which is actually quite cheap and <laughs> <laughs> turkey. But, but like, is this actually a good thing? And and um, with the vending machine, which is the other work that I'm showing alongside um, the new installation, the vending machine is rigged up to a piece of software that um, vends out free packets of crisps when news relating to the recession hits the headlines in the BBC News RSS feed. So, again, it's fending out a packet of crisps.
6: Why, why crisps in this case?
5: Um, well, I, it... Because I want this sort of... <laughs> it's not of, that important, I uh, just I want... I this was, kind uh, of sort of, um, I guess, an ambiguity about whether or not it's a good thing to get a free packet of crisps. Because if you sat in front of the, of the vending machine every day, like these poor box office staff that the, gal- that the watermans are going to have to do, then you're going to end up eating a hell of a lot of crisps, which may have a negative impact. But at the same time, excited about the thought of coming up to a vending machine and finding a free packet of crisps in it. Because as a child, that used to be like the most exciting <laughs> thing. Yeah. Could possibly happen.
6: Your food habits. So <laughs> there's a
5: there's yeah. People can make their own minds about, about whether or not the crisps are good.
3: I think we um, we have to um, to close now. And uh, just to mention that the uh, brief history of um, privatization opens on Friday from six to nine. We have the uh, launch event, and everybody's welcome. And um, Ellie's uh, website is. Um, EllieHarrison.com, where you can find information about uh, all her work, and uh, also Watermans.org.uk, uh, you can find info about the opening hours and the exhibition. And um, just to mention the next uh, two tracks, it's uh, the same old man by uh, Karen Dalton in my own time, and uh, the Regamma Roll sellout by Exploding Plastics from the album Treated Timber Resist Rot. And thank you very much for listening. Bye from us.
6: Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye.